So much going on in the world of JMU sports right now. The women's basketball team obviously heading to Ohio this weekend for their first NCAA tournament appearance in seven years. Uh, Duke's taking on Ohio State in the opening round. Uh, coming up soon, spring football, pro day, all kinds of stuff on the football field. Uh, transfer portal for both basketball teams, although I don't think the women are getting too active in that like quite yet because uh, they're, they're busy. But that is one question I have for Sean O'Regan um, at their media availability on Friday, maybe is like if they've started trying to do the portal and balance that out too. Uh, spring sports um, continuing to go well for JMU. Big top 10 matchup to open up. Conf- or not conference USA, American Athletic Conference <laughs> play for the JMU women's lacrosse team. Uh, softball, baseball continue to win. So there's a lot going on <clears throat> around JMU sports. We'll hit heavy on the women's basketball, obviously. But for right now, Noah, let's just you know kind of go around the horn. You know, big lacrosse yeah. game on Saturday. <laughs> if you can keep your mic from falling off the table. There we go. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, just w- what to look for, spring football, pro day stuff. I think pro day in particular, I think is sort of what I'm interested in, just uh, knowing <clears throat> the opportunity for a guy like Todd Santeo to uh, impress uh, some other guys, trying to make an impression here um, with, you know, the, the NFL draft really isn't too far away. No, you know, the NFL draft's what, coming up in a month away, and you got <clears throat> pro day coming up early next week. Um you know, as long as we're back from Ohio, we'll be there and uh, be doing well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Todd Santeo, obviously, headlines that. You've mm-hmm. got other people that are, you know, going to go out there and do their thing. You know, I mean, you got a guy like Percy J. Obese probably going to be out there. And, like, you know, like a guy like Terrence Terrine and, and people like that. You know, Chris Thornton as well. But I think, you know, it's really going to be a big time for, for Todd Santeo to try to show these scouts what he can do up close. I mean, obviously, something he's been working on for the past couple months, you know, getting that throwing routine down. And I think it'll be cool to see him shine out there. Um but yeah, pro day school is always cool every year, and uh, you know it's hopefully outside this year. Last year they had to move it to the you know the indoor facility that's not really that big, and it, it didn't you know it was okay, it was fine. But I think they'd rather do it out there at Bridgeforth Stadium on the field. And so I think you know I haven't checked the weather yet, but I think it's probably looking better so far. I mean, hopefully as long as the rain stays away. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if um, after pro day if we start hearing more about some of these guys and the draft themselves. And some of them are going to have pro careers regardless <clears throat> you mentioned percy i'm sure you know todd santeo is going to play pro football somewhere if they can play their way into the draft that would be huge you know for them personally it'd be big for the program um you know especially with a guy like santeo where you bring him in for one year and completely resurrect his career <laughs> help, help him get to the pros if, if he somehow gets drafted like i think that's your selling point as far as like going after quarterbacks from from here to eternity almost for this uh, coaching staff. Yeah, I think that you know is already their selling point now. Like basically, they've they've done it three times. Um, you know, with different quarterbacks at least. You know, Kurt Schignetti's uh, done it three times. You know, um, but uh, Tino Sinceri's done it twice now with back to back quarterbacks at JMU. Obviously, yeah. selling point they bring in two transfer quarterbacks coming in this year um, to try to you know help help keep this winning thing going at JMU. But yeah, I mean, if Todd Zintel ends up in the seventh round pick. Chris Signetti might have to frame, like, you know, the before and after statistics because, I mean, the job they did was really – was a really good job. And, I mean, hell, like, Todd, you know, you look at his numbers at Colorado State, he's all right, Division I quarterback, but he comes to JMU and, you know, has a player of the year caliber season. And I don't don't know if that was the expectation, but it it sure paid off. Yeah, nobody was talking about Todd Santeo in the NFL at Colorado State. Um, 
and we're, we're talking about it now. And <clears throat> you, you, like you said, it's already the selling point. They've done so well with quarterbacks. But I kind of think also, like, if you get a guy who's your one-year transfer who was, like, you know, his career was at a crossroads when he came to JMU. You bring him in one year and get him to the NFL. Does it open up the door for a next the next level of, like, guys coming out of the portal or high school recruits, things like that, when you show, yeah, look, this is – you want to play in the NFL – this is a place to do it. Yeah, I think this would be, you know, be pretty crucial. I mean, obviously, it would be the second quarterback drafted under, you know, coming out from Chris Signetti. Obviously, Ben DiNucci was already here when Signetti arrived, but, you know, mm-hmm. he helped turn that, that guy around and, you know, have a really great year and then get drafted by Dallas in the seventh round. So if Todd has the same, it's, it's great. I mean, obviously, JMU didn't have to do a whole lot to Todd itself. It was more about how you use them and, and yeah. kind of do that. But, I mean, Todd's a smart quarterback. He, he played well, and I think, you know, Pro Day will be a good opportunity since, you know, nobody got a combine invite from JMU that this is their opportunity to shine in front of scouts. Obviously, you know, he ended up at some of those, you know, all-star games. So it was already in mm-hmm. front of scouts, but now can kind of take the feedback he heard at those pro- at those all-star games and try to use it, you know, going into next week's Pro Day. Yeah. Around other sports, um, Jamie Lacrosse continues to win <clears throat> seven in a row now, heading into their AAC opener against <clears throat> the Dukes are ranked number seven. They're going to play number eight, Florida. Yep. Um, you know, I was I was doing some lacrosse interviews here the last couple of days. Got a story coming up to preview that one. But you know, I was telling the players, I was like, you know, honestly, I was sick of writing this like first this conference, first this in conference, first new conference story like all year. But you can't pass up writing the like first first conference game as a top ten matchup. But when how does that hardly ever happen, especially not outside the Power Five with realignment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big matchup. I mean, Florida is playing really well. This, you know, these two teams last played in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. I mean, so that just tells you that right there. Florida, you know, has been at the top of the American Women's Lacrosse Conference. Now JMU is kind of shooting for them, and I think it's really those two at the top of the conference. And then you know, there's another tier under them of teams that make that that Final Four, you know, uh, in the conference tournament. But you know, these are the two top dogs in the conference, and we'll see, you know, who can get it done. Obviously, JMU's hot. Florida's, you know, played a pretty tough non-conference schedule, so their record doesn't really reflect how good they are right now, even though they're ranked eighth in the country. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a, a you know, high-level game at Centero Park on Saturday. You know, honestly pretty bummed that, that you got to miss it, but, you know, yeah. while well, you have another high-level game to, to go to in, in Ohio, we'll get we'll touch on that in a little bit. But, you know, we'll still have somebody there, I think, and, you know, we'll, we'll get that covered. This is one of the toughest things about uh, lacrosse is they play – a lot of good non-conference games in February, early March, when there's still so much other stuff going on, and you know if their season <clears throat> started more like April, we'd probably cover almost every every game, especially this one. But yeah, we'll both be heading to Columbus. But <clears throat> baseball continues their their midweek success, going over to VCU, um, really putting it on the Rams there offensively. Softball <clears throat> continues to win. Alyssa Humphrey with a perfect game. I think was it the fourth or the fifth in, fourth in, in school history. history. Um, and she's, you know, previously thrown a few no hitters. So she seems to be kind of uh roundy back into form, uh, able to dominate the lower level of competition as they kind of inch closer and closer to Sunbelt play. Um, <clears throat> both of those teams having some success right now. <clears throat> Men's basketball, their season wrapped up. They're not going to play in, um, postseason they didn't get selected for the nit um not a whole lot coming out of uh transfer portal 
yet. Haven't heard of any JMU players leaving. There's a few that they uh, seem to be on seem looking at. You know, um, probably most notably that they've confirmed contact with is uh, Jaden House, uh, a Virginia kid who uh, was a big time scorer at High Point. He's in the transfer portal. Um, that'd be a name to watch, I would think. Uh, obviously, Tyler Nickel, the local product from East Rock, uh, leaving UNC. I'm sure they're going to be trying to get involved there. Whether or not they have much of a chance, hard to say at this point. Um, he's going to be a coveted, a coveted uh, player coming out of the portal. I'm sure if you're JMU, like one of your selling points is, uh, hey, look at Louisiana in the in the um, NCAA tournament right now. Especially if they could win a game here this weekend. Um, look at Louisiana right now. Lafayette kid, Greg Williams, starts at St. John's, comes back, leads them to the NCAA tournament, conference championship, local hero. You could be that <laughs> here. I'm sure that's probably a little bit of their selling point, among other things. So uh, we'll see if anything happens there. But really, this is the uh, this weekend belongs to the Jamie women's basketball team as they head to Columbus, um, take on third-seeded Ohio State, He's played a handful of times in the past. Jamie has never beaten Ohio State, but there's been some competitive games. There have been some competitive postseason games with the Buckeyes. Do the Dukes have a chance this weekend to be the first 14 seed ever to win in the first round? I mean, I think anyone has a chance. You know, That's why they play the game, right? If there wasn't a chance, yeah. the game wouldn't be played. So, obviously, there's, there's mm-hmm. a chance. It's a tall task. Sean O'Regan, all this week, every time we've talked to him, he says Ohio State's a really good team. But he's yeah. also said they're going there to win. So yeah. he's, he's playing both sides of the coin, right? He's confident. He wants to have that confident message. But he's also not shying away from the fact of, you know, Ohio State, there's a reason why they, they made a run to the Big Ten championship game. They took down in Indiana. They, they did get mm-hmm. blown out by Iowa. But, you know, Iowa's probably Final Four team this year. But he called Ohio State a Final Four caliber team. So, you know, I think it's a tall task. Definitely not the most favorable draw they could have gotten. Um, but, you know, if they somehow beat Ohio State and they can meet a North Carolina who they played really tight with this year, I mean, I think you're feeling really good about that game. Um, so I think it's all about, you know, one game at a time. Of course, you got to win. I think Sean O'Regan, you know, he said he wants to win a game. I mean, obviously he's been there, what, five times with Kenny Brooks. They only got past the first round one time. I think he mm-hmm. wants to, you know, make that happen. And we'll see what happens. But it's definitely a tall task. But, you know, especially playing in Ohio State's gym, which, you know, they average just under 6,000 fans a game, and I bet you they'd be pushing that number on Saturday. Yeah. Um, when it comes to women's basketball, is it, we, it's been talked about a lot that a 14's never beaten, beaten a three. Um, a 16 and never beaten a one until UMBC. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen at some <laughs> point. Um, I do feel like for JMU, there were more favorable draws in that 13-14 seed range than Ohio State. I mean, I think, like, Duke you would know, have been a they, they won't. They won't admit it. Yes, but they would have probably rather have played Duke, or they probably rather played, uh, you know, a Villanova if they could have gotten a thirteen. Um, yeah. But you know, Ohio State is a really good team. They've got uh, several players who are, you know, all Big Ten caliber players. Taylor Micasel, I guess they Micasel. I keep calling her Micasel the other day. Um, is you know the leader there? Somebody James played against a couple of times when she was at Maryland. Um, but that's been a while. I mean, when you just look at the draw, though, um, it's a tough one. But overall, women's basketball, I'm not sure if it means as much that, like, oh, this seed's never beaten this seed or what, because the parity across women's basketball just continues to get 
uh, more and more each yep. year. You can go back just, you know, a decade ago and, you know, there were some upsets, but there was always like, okay, here's two teams that are absolutely untouchable. I mean, there still is one And the team. next team, and then the next 10 are, you know, this much better than everybody else in the country. And then, you know, your power five teams are typically like a lot better than your mid-majors because they just were able to get all the talent. I don't think that's necessarily the case as much anymore um, when it comes to women's basketball. I, do, I definitely think there's more talent overall, and I think it's possible for, you know, <clears throat> for several years now, JMU has been recruiting against Power 5 programs. Not recruiting against Ohio State <laughs> necessarily or Maryland or, you know, whatever. But, like, you know, Villanova's a four seed. JMU recruits against Villanova every yep. year. Um you know, Villanova happened to land one. It ended up being, you know, an all-time great. Uh, that kind of pushed them up up the ranks this year. But I think just in generally speaking, the idea of a 14 seed JMU winning a game or two in the NCAA tournament is not crazy talk. Though, like we said, this probably wasn't by far not the easiest draw they could have gotten as a 14. No, it's not. But, I mean, it, it could have happened. I mean, but to your point. There is one team, I think, in women's college basketball right now that is basically untouchable. Mm -hmm. You know, South Carolina, I don't think any team is going to beat them this year. And yeah. They're going to go undefeated and win. But, I mean, that happens from time to time. You saw UConn do that, you know. Yeah. They had a run a few years ago where they, you know, put that together. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, overall, JMU's not a bad team at this point of the year. They're playing well. I mean, you saw what they did to Sunbelt Tournament, win their mm -hmm. championship game by 30. And I think that if they play like they did against Texas State, which includes making 11 of 12 threes when you combine your two top shooters, I think, you know, you you got a chance to win the game, I think, if that happens. But I don't think yeah. that, you know, don't think you really rely on that. Um, but I think this game comes down to really rebounding. And, uh, you know, Sean Reagan talked about they Ohio State gets out-rebounded. Yes, they play in the Big Ten. But if JMU can take advantage of that number and kind of earn themselves second-chance point, second points and not allow Ohio State to get that second opportunity – think that puts you in a pretty favorable spot um you really have to make them go one and done because if they get multiple chances i mean they're going to make a basket yeah and if you if you want to talk about what jamie has done against i guess an ohio state caliber team over the past several years um you can go back to the first time jamie played against taylor micasell when she was at maryland um they played her i think it was her freshman year and i think she scored like 16 in college park um <clears throat> and that Maryland team just ran all over JMU. And the the difference in athleticism and size at that point between JMU and those types of teams was extremely noticeable. You know, JMU was playing a 6'2 center um, in Kayla Cooper-Williams, and that was really all their height. Now, like, really since that year, you can tell that Sean's kind of made a point to, like, get bigger, get more athletic – and now he's got, you know, he could put a lineup of, like, six-footers and taller out there. He's got a six-four center. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, we talk about Ksenia Kozlova transferring in from a, a fellow mid-major in Middle Tennessee State, but not your typical mid-major. I mean, they're, 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 they're a good program. They've been a good program for a long time. Um, so I feel like probably JMU over the past few years – you know, even considering last year um, with injuries and conference ban and everything else and, you know, maybe some chemistry issues just last year not going well, um, that the overall talent level 
and certainly the size and everything has trended up towards being able to match up with high major teams over the past like three, four or five years. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, especially the the height you, you mentioned, I mean, I just counted that they have 11 players in their roster that's six foot or taller. Which, I mean, when you're playing a power five team, they're going to have height. And that's going to be a way to compete. But, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a way to compete. Yeah. Um, the 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 matchup with uh, Kozlova, I think, will be one to watch. Um, Ohio State's bigs, they don't have, like, super size. You mentioned South Carolina. They're not, like – they're not like yeah. going to Leah Boston, who's just like absolutely unstoppable by anyone else in women's basketball in the paint. Um, but you know their their bigs can go out on the floor, so that might be a little bit of a mismatch for JMU on the defensive end. But then can they match up with uh, Susha's physicality underneath the basket? I mean, she's you know she takes a beating, but she she kind of uh, delivers a beating too at times um, down there under the basket. Yeah, she does. I mean, she's really capable at, of scoring in the paint. I mean, she's she's you know gone up against some pretty good centers in the in the Sun Belt and you know really played mm-hmm. well. Um, I think you know she's played in international competition as well at, at points for the Russian national team. So I think that you put those things together. I don't think that this is a like you know sometimes you look at a big stage like this and you say it's too big for the moment. I don't think it's too big for her. I think you know she's she can play in this. Um, it's all about kind of how she can really defend mm-hmm. their center, especially since, you know, their centers can kind of step out and, and take a three. So, I mean, she's going to have to guard a little farther out. Um, but other than that, they can also switch and, and you know, make things work. But I think she may be able to – if she can assert herself in the paint and JMU can kind of try to run its offense through her for a little bit, I think it, may, it might work. Yeah, you talk about the big stage too. And um, obviously this particular JMU team has played well in every – big game as far when you're talking about the opponents like they ran through all the other top teams in the Sun Belt their their only losses came they lost to the bottom half yeah (laughs) yeah um which which is interesting but they they had no trouble they they always got up for a big game against a big big opponent including UNC um you know championship type games um they treated a game against a top 100 St. Joseph's team in a preseason tournament, a holiday tournament, they treated that like a championship type game and came out and and they just absolutely blew out a good, solid St. Joe's team. Um, so they they seem to be a group that has the mindset to kind of step up in that moment. That said, when you're talking about your two best players, Kiki Jefferson, um, Peyton McDaniel, the ones who carried you in the Sun Belt tournament, they've never played on this particular stage. Uh, nobody's played on this particular stage, but you've mentioned, you know, Susha Kozlova has played with the Russian national team. Um, you know, Caroline Germond didn't have a lot of success wins and losses wise at TCU, but she's played, she's been, you know, the she's played ball. against these caliber teams before a lot. Um, and, you know, Shauna Regan's talked about her, just her demeanor as someone who came, from France to the United States, basically on her own mm-hmm. uh, and travels the country and the world on her own, like that nothing phases her really. Um, you know, Kobe King Huea, another international player who's not played in the NCAA tournament, maybe not played in huge college basketball games, but she's been through a lot. She goes to the NBA, uh, International Academy. Like she, she's been through things where she's. Um, I don't think anything necessarily phases her 
So how this team as a group kind of comes out to open the game, I think will be, be quite telling when you look at, yeah, nobody's played in the NCAA tournament, but they seem to like thrive on this kind of environment. Yeah, they have. And I mean, they've all played, you know, most of them have played at some point or another in a, in a crazy environment like this. I mean, the only people that are even really sad who haven't is the freshmen and they don't really play the mm-hmm. freshmen a ton, but they're not going to start. So they, they'll be able to get, you know, handle on it before they go in the game if they need it. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that, you know, a lot of these past experiences will play, you know, into this. Obviously, Jamie's 12 and the three on the road this year. Um, so they've, they've, they've played extremely well away from home. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be really needed. I think, you know, I don't think they have to play a perfect game to beat Ohio State, but I think they're going to play, you know, pretty close to it if they want to win that game. Yeah. Um, do you have a prediction for? Uh, it's too early. I think you know. I think we may have we may yeah. have a little pregame podcast on Friday from from the arena. So I think yeah. that's when my I need to see you know a little little more. Uh, but yeah, I think you know it might be a little too early. Yeah, it'll be fun to get a uh, get an idea like what their vibe is around like the open practice, the press conference, uh, hang around the locker room a little bit to see like what everybody's doing. But as we've you know kind of continually mentioned, I don't foresee the demeanor, the mindset, the nerves being much of an issue. No. Yeah. Especially when... It's more of like what's going to happen on the court. I don't think the the off-the-court stuff will really affect them. I mean, he talked about the conference championship, you know, they handled that pretty well with all the distractions, and you know, I think they'll handle this. I mean, it's kind of more of, you know, can you put the ball through the hoop at this point rather than are you worried about if someone's focused or not? I think that I think that's going to handle itself. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't predict um, them going 11 for 12 from three-point range. But if they can go 8 for 16. I think they, they take 10 they, or 20. Like 10 yeah, 20. then things could get kind of interesting. Um, you know, how they handle um, the press, I think um, – and to keep going back to uh, their previous games against Maryland, uh, I don't know how relevant they actually are, but um, there was a couple of years ago when they played Maryland at home, and Jamie was up by 20 early in the fourth quarter in that one, and Maryland put on a press. Um, this is a Maryland team that I can't remember if they ended up going to the Final Four. They were, they were really good. Um, they put on a press in the fourth quarter and came all the way back and won by two. Mm-hmm. Um and Jamie just did not handle that pressure. This seems like a team that being pressed has not bothered a whole lot. I mean, for for one thing, Caroline Jamon can beat her a lot of presses on the dribble on her own. Um, but you've also got like good ball handlers with size. And, you know, Kiki Jefferson can see over people, pass over people. Um, Ohio State's going to press. I don't see that necessarily being a huge detriment to JMU, this particular group. No, I don't think it will be. I think, you know, they'll handle it pretty well. I mean, obviously, you're going to turn the ball over when that happens. But, I mean, yeah. if they can limit that and they limit the points off turnovers, they'll be okay. Um, but it's all dependent, I think, on how they can get Once they break the press, I think they're fine, you know, on the half court. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a little, you know, maybe they'll have to definitely think they're practicing it this week. And, uh we will see what happens on Saturday afternoon. National TV, though, too. Yeah. And then, you know, not to look too far ahead because, you know, can't count on uh, much here. But you, you touched on it a little bit that if they can get past the number three Ohio State, in front of them is the 6-11 matchup with the play-in game Purdue-St. John's. 
North Carolina, a six seed that they kind of feel like they let one get away against at home without Caroline Germain, uh, as Sean O'Regan pointed out uh, earlier this week. Um, they know they can play with Carolina. They've played, they have a history with St. John's. They play St. John's fairly regularly. Um, they're not going to be intimidated by St. John's at all. Um, I wouldn't think the Purdue name necessarily intimidates this group. They've played against plenty of power five teams. If they somehow get past Ohio state, then you kind of really have to start thinking about them being in position to make an interesting, uh, deep run and really kind of solidify JMU as being back on the national scene. As far as like the, the mid-major powerhouse they were for a while under Kenny Brooks. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, you know, obviously Ohio State's going to present a big, big challenge. But if they get through that, and especially if they have to play Carolina again, I think that, you know, one, the unknown's taken away. You know Mm -hmm. what they do, and you've played them. You know who they are. Two, I think there's motivation there of Carolina came in and beat them on their home court. Mm -hmm. I think that if they have the opportunity to, you know, avenge that loss, I think they'll, they'll try to do it especially on a neutral court, which Ohio State would turn into if, if that were to happen. But I don't think, you know, Jamie's players are really looking that far ahead yet. I think, you know, they're really focused on Ohio State. Um, yeah. And they'll worry about that on Sunday. If but we can, look, we can look ahead. We though. can look ahead. I mean, do we want to extend our hotel to, you know, Tuesday uh, morning? I think, you know, we could do it. But, yeah. you know, one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it really just, like, this particular JMU team, when, um, when there's been pressure – They've responded quite well, you know, where they needed to win at ODU to. Um, and they trailed by six in overtime yeah, that game. Yeah, they, there's pressure there. There's pressure in the conference tournament because they're the number one seed and the pressure is on them and they answer the call. They're going into this group, this bracket, with no pressure on them. There's not expectations outside of Harrisonburg or, you know, the JMU fan base yep. to um to do much but they also kind of know that they're capable of knocking some teams off and if they can get past ohio state i kind of feel like they got to be licking their chops a little bit like to play a unc if it's unc or purdue or St. yeah John's, but like where the pressure is going to be all on those teams mm-hmm. especially in north carolina if they're a six seed and you know you can beat them they know they know you. They can know hang. you can <laughs> beat them. Like the, all the pressures on them. Um, it, it's similar in the first round. All the pressure is going to be on Ohio State playing at home as a top seed, uh, especially if JMU comes out firing and making threes like they did in Pensacola. I I just kind of want to see what the like difference is in the underdog role, which they haven't played the underdog role much this year. They haven't. They did against North Carolina, and you know led for what 32 of the 40 minutes i think or yeah. something like that i mean they led for most of that game they they had it in control they you know let one slip mm-hmm. away and you know they also play the underdog rule a kind of against troy at home in a way i mean they played it the whole year sean o'regan used that to yeah. his advantage saying hey you guys are picked sixth they end up winning the conference um and could have you know been a sole leader they just dropped the game the marshall at the end which they fix that pretty quickly mm-hmm. so we've seen when they play a team for the second time and they've lost the first time they, they can fix their mistakes and win the game so i think that yeah. is something they can point to as well saying look you guys got blown out by marshall and come around and blow them out you know a week later 
Um, obviously, Marshall's not on the same caliber as North Carolina, but I definitely think that's that's up there. And um, I think it's you know I think I think if you ask Sean O'Regan if they beat Ohio State and they've got North Carolina to play, I think you know I think he's happy kind of where that sits. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that ends up going. Um, we're leaving for Columbus early Friday morning. Get there for their open practice um, Friday afternoon. I think the plan is we'll do some more episodes this weekend uh, from Columbus, uh, probably maybe in the arena. Uh, should be fun. So keep an eye out for those if you uh, listen or if you're subscribed. Um, we'll be doing some more talking, some uh, mini episodes about the JMU women uh, from their reactions from the pregame practice, from the game uh, on location. <clears throat> so like I said, keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime – Appreciate you listening today. I'm Shane Metlin. You've been listening to me and uh, Noah Fleischman here to my left as we talk about JMU sports as we do each week on the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. And thanks for tuning in.